Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, December 13th, 2010. There be snow on the ground here in central Indiana. Lots of it. Could you believe it? It's William Swirla, Pastor Swirla. He sent out a Facebook notification basically saying, Ooh, low of 59, high of 81 today. Brr. <laughs> That's his cruelty. He needs to repent and be forgiven. But I, I won't absolve him until he actually does repent. Yeah, I'm just saying. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. <sighs> As you know, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there in the name of God. We just kind of chronicle them all here and and you, you, you want to laugh and you want to cry all at the same time. It's okay if that's those are your emotions. You know, just get, let them out. You know, it's it's important. It's therapeutic, and you know, I, I want you to be able to experience being able to you know cathartically release all of those pent up feelings and emotions that you have. Considering the fact, since I'm a guy, I don't have any emotions. You know, just you know, just saying. All right, today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is packed full of stuff. But before we get into it, let's talk about uh, the schedule that we have for this week. Uh, I will be broadcasting a normal week the entire week. Can you believe it? Yes, it's true. I will be broadcasting a normal week the entire week. And then I think I broadcast on Monday of next week, and then, I have, uh, then I'm going to take some time off. I'm going to um, take some time off, relax, and spend some time with my family my 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 daughters are out of school after the end of this week and um i don't think i've ever really taken a, a truly organized uh vacation time planned time off here at fighting for the faith and so i'm going to i'm going to be uh, out of studio and not recording tuesday through Monday of the following week, and then I'll be back uh, the following Tuesday. So I just want to let you all know that. So uh, those of you who uh, subscribe to the podcast and things like that, that you understand what's going on. And uh, so, you know, it's not that I'm, uh, I, I, I'm disappearing. It's not it at all. I, I, I need a little bit of time to recharge my batteries and to uh, spend some time with the family during the holidays. And hey, you know, here in Indiana, we get a white Christmas this year. <laughs> Yeah, that's just great. <laughs> My wife was all excited today because she's all, you know, Chris, you gotta, you gotta go out and uh, and shovel the snow off the driveway, and it's like, 
okay, no problem. This is my second year doing this, and uh, so I, I have this Mongo huge uh, snow shovel, and um, and the re- you know what's funny is is my neighbors they have a snowblower. A lot of them have snowblowers, and you know I you know sometimes I get out there to uh, you know to shovel the snow at the same time they do, and and um, and I'm faster than they are, and I'm not even trying. And keep in mind, I am an underweight fat guy. And uh, and so to this morning, I yeah, I got out there, I shoveled the driveway, and I shoveled the sidewalk. And uh, this house that we're in, we oh man, we're on a corner, and so I have double the uh, the sidewalk space to shovel uh, than uh, than the other guys. And you know what's funny is is last year I couldn't figure out. Okay, it's like you know I've I've never lived in a place where there's snow and. What is the etiquette regarding, you know, shoveling the sidewalk? You know, is it my responsibility? Whose responsibility is, you know, and uh, and how often are you to do it and, and things like that? And so uh, I noticed that the guys with the snowblowers, that they're pretty generous with the uh, the sidewalks. My neighbors that don't have snowblowers, they tend to be um, a little hit and miss on the uh, – on the sidewalk thing, but I, I learned a trick. You know, I, I learned this wonderful trick, and that is, is that when you're between snowstorms, um, you know, like tonight we're going to get some more snow, and uh, and then later in the week we're going to get them. Is that uh, on the sidewalks you don't have to actually shovel the snow off of the entire thing? At least here in Indiana, what I do is I make a path that's just one shovel uh, wide, and what that does is is that uh, it makes it so the sunlight can hit the um, can hit the sidewalk, and the sun does the rest. Yeah, I tell you, you give a job to a lazy guy, and he'll find a fast way to get it done. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, so I, I don't mind uh, doing the snow shoveling thing. And the reason why, because I need to keep burning the calories, because I'm trying to go from being an overweight fat guy to being an underweight skinny guy. Oh, no way, an overweight skinny guy. That's what I want to be. I want to be an overweight skinny guy. Unfortunately, in the tallest department, yeah, I still can continue to be a short, tall guy. So then, then nothing I can do to change that. Um, although from time to time, my wife says that I should wear cowboy boots because they have a, like an inch and a half heel on them, and they make me look taller. You know, it's just <clears throat> that's a different story altogether, and it's probably best if I don't get into all of the details. Okay, I cannot believe all the things I tell you all about myself on this program. I'm beginning to think that. You all are therapy for me, and uh, yeah, that's all the uh, <clears throat> the only way I can look at it. Anyway, so on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, all right, we got we're gonna we're gonna look at some news stories. Let's see here. I've got a church in Dallas, Texas, that has started a website, GrinchAlert.com, dot com, and to which I basically say this is exactly what Christian churches shouldn't be doing. But I'll be playing audio from a uh, Fox News. Um, well, it's the local Fox, uh, Fox four studio, Fox four down in uh, Dallas, Texas. They uh, had this uh, pastor on uh, Dr. Jeffress, uh, who, who started this thing. And, and we'll be looking at that today. Let's see here. Um, um, I want to play for you, uh, a part, not the entire sermon, but, uh, somebody forwarded me a link to uh, a recently aired edition of uh, Grace to You, uh, uh, Dr. John MacArthur. And uh, the name of the sermon is The Blasphemy of the Rich Young Ruler. And uh, and MacArthur goes after seeker-driven uh, methodologies and ideas pretty hard, worth passing along. And it's actually really, really good stuff. 
Uh, let's see here. What else can I talk about? Oh, yeah. We have the third eagle of the apocalypse uh, today. Uh, dis- uh, discussing Mary's, uh, uh, that would be the Virgin Mary's Immaculate Conception and Bible Prophecy. So we have a, a update uh, regarding that today. And, oh boy, um, we may get to some other stories. I'll, I won't tell you what they are because I just looking at what I want to cover and how much time, you know, I've noticed that I, <clears throat> I have a tendency to uh, to talk a lot on my radio program. And as a result of it, some of the things I want to get to, I don't get to because I want to make sure that when I cover the things that I cover them to my satisfaction. And so yeah, I've got some spare uh, uh, news stories that uh, should I run out of time? <laughs> You're all going like, that's going to happen. But should, I, should we run out of time? I have some spare news stories I'd like to get to. <sighs> anyway, so uh, with that, um, you know, I wonder how I want to do this. Um, hmm, I got to make a decision. Do I want to read the USA Today news article first, or do I want to play the audio from the video? Do I, which one do I want to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the uh, audio from the video first because the uh, USA Today story on the same topic happens to uh, deal with um, the uh, kind of the pagan response to this particular thing. So uh, let me uh, l- let me cue this up and then we'll dive into it. From the uh, Fox News affiliate in Dallas, Texas, uh, Fox 4, comes this story about Grinch Alert. So uh, here, let me uh, let me play this story. Let's let's dive in. An outspoken local religious leader is keeping tabs on businesses that are not in the Christmas spirit, and you can help him. Reverend Robert Jeffress, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, launched the Grinch Alert website today. Now, you can log on and post the names of businesses in two different categories. There's a naughty category for those businesses that use generic holiday language or nothing at all, and a nice category for those that acknowledge Christmas. So we asked some folks, does it really matter what words are used? I'm just used to Merry Christmas, and that's the way I've always been raised, um, to always say that. So I think Happy Holidays, just, just not for our, our family anyway. I think we've gotten way over-political about the whole issue. Um, the whole purpose behind Christmas is Jesus is the reason for the season. So I think in saying Happy Holidays, we're offending more of the population than if we would if we just simply just said Merry Christmas. And by saying only Merry Christmas, that trivializes that maybe I'm Muslim or Hindu or Jewish or Indian, and I celebrate in a different way. And that's my issue with that. I I don't like it. I never have. All right, so joining us now, the man behind the movement, Reverend Robert Jeffers. Thanks for being here. All right, let me, let me put it on the table. I say Merry Christmas. I like it when businesses, when business folks say the same thing. But, but now you've got this website. It's GrinchAlert.com. I'm curious, what's your objective? Because some might say you're just kind of jumping on the war on Christmas bandwagon. <laughs> well, Heather, this is an attempt to do something positive. You know, when the Grinch came, the Grinch didn't try to steal Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or some generic happy holiday. He tried to steal Christmas. And 
unfortunately, a lot of uh, businesses have uh, taken the role of the Grinch, businesses that may have one time said Merry Christmas or had a Christmas tree or even a nativity scene, but they have bowed to the pressure of political correctness and now refuse to acknowledge Christmas. And so I thought this would be a fun and productive way where uh, people could go to our website, GrinchAlert.com, and they could put a business on the naughty list for refusing to acknowledge Christmas, but also they could commend the business, put them on the nice list uh, for celebrating Christmas. And by the way, we have many more people on the nice list so far than the naughty list. Yeah, actually, I have the, the list right here in front of me, and you're right. There are about three times as many on the nice list. Okay, I know that you're calling this fun. Okay, got to pause here for a second. Okay. <clears throat> Dr. Jeffers, by the way, has uh, made sure to post links to these uh, news stories on on the, their church's website. I'm just going to ask the uh, – does this really even matter? Who cares? I mean, seriously, who cares? Okay? Um, the local businesses in your neck of the woods have not been tasked with the job of preaching the gospel. So um, they service – all the businesses in your community, they service Christians, they service Muslims, they service Buddhists, they service Hindus, they service uh, atheists, agnostics, and everything else in the middle of the spectrum. It, 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 their market is not just Christians. Who cares? I mean, that seriously. So it drives me crazy that year after year after year after year, I'm supposed to feel like I've got to take a side. Okay, that you know, I've got to take a side against those business. You know, that the, the, there's corruption going on in the in the world out there, and uh, and the problem is is that businesses are not, uh, you know, they're not saying Merry Christmas. They're saying Happy Holidays. It, it's some kind of a communist, atheistic, materialistic, rationalistic conspiracy to hide. Who cares? The job of the church is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations. I'm not going to spend a second of my time on the GrinchAlert.com website typing in all the naughty businesses that dared to say happy holidays to me. This is a complete distraction away from the, from the incarnate deity and the celebration of the fact that God gave us a Savior in Jesus Christ, that the Son of God was born, and he, <clears throat> Dr. Jeffress, um, your job, sir, it's your job, not the job of the local businesses in your area to preach the gospel, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, to preach the law, to show people their need for a Savior, and to preach the gospel, to comfort them with the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. For it doesn't end in the manger, it continues from the manger to the cross. But sitting here there and shaming businesses because they don't say what you want them to say? Don't you think that's just a little bit like the wrong thing that we're supposed to be doing? 
Let's continue. But I don't know if everybody's going to see it that way because I've been reading through some of these things and people are, are targeting certain businesses. For example, Mi Cucina's on here, you know, saying, well, the employees can't say Merry Christmas. They have to say Happy Holidays. So doesn't it kind of seem like you, you are putting a target on these businesses? Well, one thing I want to be make certain. Yes, that's exactly what you're doing. If they're on the naughty list, you're putting a target on them. Uh, I'm not the one. It's not Robert Jeffers who is making the list, checking it twice to see who's naughty or not. But nice. you're behind the list. All we're doing is opening up a public discussion where people can make their own. Oh, you're having an emergent conversation about businesses that say happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas. Give me a break. Choice about who's on the naughty list or who's on the nice list. There's not any suggestion in the website at all about boycotting businesses. That's not the spirit of it at all. It's just information, and hopefully, maybe we can take some people who are on the naughty list and they will uh, go ahead and be placed on the nice list and do. Will they go to heaven if they say Merry Christmas rather than Happy Holidays? Will will salvation come to that business because they've said Merry Christmas? what 91% of Americans do, and that is celebrate Christmas. Okay, you know, the most inclusive thing, Heather, a person yeah. can say is Merry Christmas. And it may offend some people, but as one of the people you interviewed says, it's much more offensive to the majority of people not to say Merry Christmas. Okay, but you really, you do have to take some responsibility. I mean, you can't just kind of make this website and put it out there and go, oh, no, we're, you know, people are going to do with it what they will. And then Yeah, they, exactly. The, the idea here is, is that if your business is on the naughty list, that uh, somehow people shouldn't do business with you. Hope that you can transfer people to the nice list because yeah. the way that they get there is these businesses to, to change their action and to kind of bow to maybe your pressure. Well, right? again, I would say it's like letters to the editor, talk radio, yeah. forums where people have the opportunity to share their opinions. And in a, pluralist, a pluralistic society like the United States, everybody ought to get to share their opinions. And that's simply what we're doing. So let me ask you do you think you're passing judgment? Again, I'm not making any judgment at all. I'm not the one who is. Don't you think putting a business on the naughty list is a form of judgment? Come on. He's, he creates this thing and then, you know, he doesn't take responsibility for the fact that this is a form of judgment. Uh, choosing naughty or nice, we're letting the public do that by going to GrinchAlert.com, letting them make their own decision. That uh, seems like a very positive thing for people to do. All right, and I, before, uh, this is to all the viewers. Before you start emailing me, let me tell you, I believe in keeping the Christ in Christmas. What I am doing is simply asking the Reverend these questions tonight. So, Reverend Robert Jeffers, I <laughs> you want did to thank good. You. Notice the news, ladies. Uh, I, I don't. I was just asking the questions. Don't. We're not saying that. <sighs> Job. Well, thank, thank you. you, sir. I appreciate you once again being a great guest as always. Thank you for being here thank with you. us. Thank you. Yeah, this to me is a complete waste of time. This is a complete waste of time. And here we've got everybody all upset about this. And then we get to the USA Today website, usatoday.com on December 7, 20. Um, uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's um, on December 7, 2010. The headline reads, ho, ho, uh oh, Dallas Church goofs. On Grinch Alert. This was, um, who wrote this? I don't have a byline on it. If I find the author of it, I'll let you know. Uh, Reverend Robert Jeffress, you might want to watch out when uh, out whom you rat out for being insufficiently Christmas-y on your new Grinch hotline.
Sam Hodges at the Dallas Morning News has the story. First Baptist Church, a megachurch led by Jeffress, who says during every election that if the most conservative Christians aren't elected, God might lift his favor from America, is calling for essentially a public shaming of anyone who doesn't tow the Christmas line that he requires. And just so you know, who's who, Jeffress also plans to name names on local local radio of public places that don't say Merry Christmas or who decorate accordingly. He doesn't use the boycott word, but clearly he expects people to pick nice over naughty. Folks are already tattling away about supposedly unchristmas neighbors to the Grinch Alert uh, hotline. Top of the list, Crowley's City Hall's uh, sign wishing its nearly 15,000 residents of Fort Worth suburb those dreaded slur words, happy holidays. Next is Me Coquina Restaurant in South Lake. Uh, Cosina, by the way. Here, here, despite the Christmas tree decor, staff is instructed to wish happy holidays to callers, uh, to callers, horrors, perhaps patrons who may want, who may or may not believe in Jesus are also welcome to dine there and greetings on the phone are part of that welcome. But I'm just guessing. I didn't get to reach a spokesman for the chain restaurant uh, Tuesday night, but I did reach the astonished folks at Crawley City Hall and, and Reverend you are barking up the wrong Christmas tree on this one. Yes, they do have a happy holiday sign up to wish all the best from Thanksgiving through Hanukkah, Christmas, and New Year's, says Crawley City Manager Triot Gilbreth. He's a Southern Baptist, like 36% of Crawley. And um, Gilbreth says, uh, we really don't didn't know we were making a statement of any sort. We've had that sign up for seven or eight years. But if they did want to make a statement, folks should step inside. There they might learn that the good folks of Crawley have raised $1,000 for the local House of Hope to buy gifts, clothes, and food for needy families. How? With nine Christmas trees fully decorated by local business and private donors displayed in a fantasy forest at City Hall and then sold through a silent auction last week. Gilbreth, who credits City Secretary Angie Winkle for this fantasy forest idea, says, We have a happy family of giving people here in Crawley. If anyone were interested enough to check us out, they would see this is a spiritual community of people who help each other. House of Hope, running short on funds after an expected grant fell through, is a non-sectarian nonprofit with multiple services for area the area's poorest families, says D- Dave Sorter of the Crowley Star, who covered the silent auction for the paper. Winkle stands by Happy Holidays as well. She says, to me, it's a message to everyone. Everyone has their different ways of celebrating the holidays, are all all about giving and generosity. So here's the deal. Uh, Already, uh, the USA Today, which has now made this a national story, has picked up on the fact that uh, Jeffress's naughty list uh, is, well, poorly researched because there's more to the story than just the sign in some places. And so what is going on here? You've got people basically saying, why'd you put me on the naughty list? We we don't deserve to be on the naughty list because we have 15 Christmas trees up in our place. And you get what I'm saying? This whole thing is stupid. The church has got more important battles to fight right now, namely churches that aren't preaching Christ and him crucified. Tell you what, when we get all of the churches, especially the mega churches, the seeker-driven, purpose-driven types, getting back to what they're supposed to be doing, 
preaching the gospel and preaching the word, then we can start maybe complaining about the fact that there's businesses out there that don't say Merry Christmas. But then again, we also have this other thing that we've got to do, and that's proclaim Christ and him crucified to all nations and to make disciples of all nations. No disciples are being made as a result of this battle, and it's rather polarizing and it's rather ugly. Instead, I think this is, a, this is the type of stuff that gives Christianity a black eye. This is a PR nightmare. Jeffress, you've got more important things to be doing, far more important things to be doing, and this naughty nice list thing of yours is not judgmentally neutral. And there are people who are being put on the naughty list who probably shouldn't be. And who cares anyway? The church has a job to do, and this is not the church's job. And it's not the job of businesses to preach the gospel. It's the church's job. You know, this this reminds me of a quote that I heard from, uh, actually I read it somewhere, from Pastor Mark uh, uh, Trahella of Mercy Seat Christian Church. Worth passing along. Here's what he said. Who is primarily responsible for the immoral, corrupt, decadent, statist condition of our nation? Yeah, see, if you're out there complaining about the fact, this is me commenting at this, if you're out there complaining about the fact that, oh, the nation's going to hell in a handbasket because... The people over at the Cracker Barrel didn't say Merry Christmas. They said Happy Holidays. <laughs> Seriously. Let me go back. Who is primarily responsible for the immoral, corrupt, decadent status condition of our nation? My answer is the pulpits of America. When you follow everything back from the acts of wickedness, I always end up at the pulpits. If the pulpits are faithful, it doesn't matter what the status or cultural elitists say or do. The people will still know the truth. But we have a perfect storm here in America. The nation is in rebellion against God, and the American church is a whore. That is a perfect storm when it comes to the righteous judgment of God. You know, I think that's appropriate here, okay? We've got big problems, and we've got to get out and be salt and light. And the only way we're going to be salt and light is by proclaiming the gospel and not getting caught up in this nonsense. It is absolute nonsense. (sighs) This is just, uh, obviously, this is something that that chaps my hide. (sighs) (laughs) All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> It's... 
Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Let's face it, it's a visual age, and the old Bible is impractical and irrelevant, but that shouldn't hamper your spiritual growth. If you're tired of all those words like atonement, sin, justification, and all that deep stuff about God, look no further. Announcing the Massage, a new Bible version that puts you and your personal needs central. Written in a style familiar to readers of the National Enquirer, the Massage concentrates on making you feel good rather than filling your head with all those doctrines that clutter the older Bibles and disrupt unity. So if you've lost that loving feeling, pick up your copy of the Massage today. It's available at your local Jesus and Me stores and at airport terminals worldwide. Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. (laughs) And just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, nobody is going to actually go to heaven if they say Merry Christmas as opposed to Happy Holidays. 
Yeah, we have got the job of proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, and this is a distraction from it. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. In fact, as we draw towards the end of the year, uh, this is the time of gifting and gifts and things like that. Um, We could truly use your financial assistance as we uh, go into the uh, new year so that uh, we can hit the ground running in the new year. And if you have not supported Fighting for the Faith in the past, this is a great time to do so. And uh, may I suggest that you join our crew. The way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and when you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says Donate, the other says Join Our Crew. Click on the Join Our Crew button, and what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And it's a great way to support us because what it does is it makes it the more people that join, it makes it so that our our giving levels out over the months rather than having a lot of peaks and valleys. And uh, of course, if you would like to donate above and beyond that, you can make a one-time contribution by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable and then send it to post office box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero. Three eight. Okay, moving along. What you're kind of in the, you know, in contradiction mode. This is a. I wanted to play for you a few minutes of this sermon by Dr. John MacArthur called "The Blasphemy of the Rich Young Ruler," and uh, in the uh, intro to his lecture, he uses the occasion of this text from Mark. Excuse me, from Mark chapter ten, uh, verses seventeen through twenty-two, to uh, go after some of the seeker-driven types, and he's uh, digging this out of the text. It's worth the listen. Here is Doctor John MacArthur. Open your Bible now to the tenth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. Mark, who tells the story of Christ, along with Matthew and Luke and John, has written this great history that we have been enjoying now for well over a year. We find ourselves in chapter 10. I've entitled this particular event, The Tragedy of a Selfish Seeker. The Tragedy of a Selfish Seeker. We hear a lot today in the contemporary evangelical church about seekers. We even have ministry defined for us as seeker-driven and needing to be seeker-friendly. We might assume from that that the world is full of seekers and that uh, we just need to find out the angle of what they're seeking and provide it somehow for them, and that will draw them to salvation. The truth of the matter is the world is full of seekers. They're not seeking God. Fulfillment? Sure. Purpose? Right. Happiness? Absolutely. Love? For sure. Meaning? Of course. God? Not really. Romans 3, the Bible says, no man seeks after God. The world is full of dishonest seekers. The truth is there are lots of people who want a more satisfying life, a more fulfilling life. And if you throw in heaven, all the better. However, the offer must come on their terms. There are lots of selfish seekers. Yes, 
there are. And when the church caters to their selfishness and says that, oh, it's showing them that we're meeting, we care about their needs. No, we're not, because we're basically trying to tell people they can that admission into the kingdom of God doesn't require repentance, and it does. And repentance only comes through the uncomfortable preaching of God's law to show the lost, selfish, quote, seeker, that they are dead in trespasses and sins and liable to God's judgment, and that they haven't got a snowball's chance in Hades of making it through God's judgment unscathed and not and, and, and not ending up in hell as a result of their sinful, wicked rebellion, which is played out in their selfish appetites. And feeding them what they want rather than giving them what they need Christ and him crucified for their sins? That's not how the church has grown. Great quote from John MacArthur. Great quote from John MacArthur. If you want to listen to the rest of it, you find it at the Grace to You website. All right. It's um, time to check in with William Tapley and find out his weekly installment on the prophetic, which means that we've got to queue up William Tapley music here. I should let all you Baptists know out there, I am dancing in my seat. It's the end of the world as we know it. Oh, yeah. It's the end of the world as we know it. I'm lifting my hands. And I feel fine. I gotta admit, this is probably <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite segments every week. I, <laughs> it's like Christmas every single week when I get a William Tapley update. Anyway, the, this week uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and co-prophet of the end times, still haven't figured out who he's co-profiting with. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> He's got, uh, well, news for us regarding Mary, that would be the Virgin Mary's Immaculate Conception and Bible Prophecy. Grab your tinfoil pyramid hats and let's go. Here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the Co-Prophet of the End Times. You know, William, I, God, sorry, I got to pause right there now he's he's very festive he's got like some kind of it looks like he has a um a, a holiday tablecloth draped back behind him and he's now got two christmas trees one big one and one small one and um, he's done a poor job of lighting himself he looks kind of jaundice um William, you know, uh, I just want to make sure that this is not health related, you know, that you're not yellow because your liver is failing. Um, you, you might want to go and check if if it is the lighting, you might want to, you know, 
see if you can parlay some of those profits from your book uh, into uh, getting some better lighting for your video blog. I'm doing this program on December the 8th, which is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Which, by the way, we Lutherans don't celebrate. I'm a, I'm a Lutheran, and I, yeah, no. Let's... And that is when we honor Mary because she was conceived without original sin. Really? Um, do you have any Bible passages on that? The, the idea here, this is a very pious uh, myth that's uh, come up about Mary. The idea here is, is that, well, if she had original sin, then she wouldn't have been worthy to, you know, to bear the Messiah. Well, the problem is Scripture doesn't teach any of this stuff. And philosophically, then, we got the question, was Mary's mother also conceived and born without original sin so that she was worthy to carry the Immaculate Virgin in her womb? Hmm. And, in fact, she lived her entire life without committing any sin. She was unique. Really? The Virgin Mary didn't commit any sin? Hmm. So thinking that her son was crazy and trying to, you know, take him into a 5150, uh, that didn't qualify. Hmm. No, I don't think so. She was sinful. ...among all humans in that respect. And in our battle against the Antichrist... This is important to understand, because although Jesus is our commander-in-chief, don't forget, Mary is his five-star general. I didn't know that God allowed women in the army. Several months ago on YouTube, there was a debate about the Immaculate Conception. Keith Truth took the position that this doctrine was false, and Bengali One took the Catholic view. And that is Oh, Pirate Christian, by the way, takes the position that it's false as well. But I wasn't on YouTube to debate it. Sorry. That Mary indeed was created without original sin. Now, when I commented on Keith Truth's first video and pointed out an error, he blocked me from making any further comments. Here is my response to Keith's video, for which he blocked me. You are in error when you say, God, my Savior, is a common phrase in Scripture. Mary is the only person to say, God, my Savior. Our Savior is common, but not my Savior. Notice... Yeah, by the way, the, the debate here is uh, is uh, centering in on some wording from uh, one of the Gospel accounts, I think from the Lucan account, where after the angel Gabriel announces that uh, the Holy Spirit would overshadow Mary and uh, and that she would conceive and be- and give birth to a son in the Magnificat, uh, which is recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Mary says, "God, my Savior." Apparently, um, if 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 Mary was sinless, um, and didn't commit a single sin, they, she could par- apparently, you know, have been like you know our Savior. But see, in the Magnificat, she says that God is her Savior, and apparently she needs one, but uh, William Tapley is taking issue. This, I want to clear all this up for you. Yeah. Mary does not say, Jesus, my Savior, even though Jesus is in her womb. That's because Mary was sinless and did not require his sacrifice. It's important. For- uh, yeah, uh, again, um. You got any passages in the Bible that say any such things? Yeah, I, I mean, even my writings, even my readings in the writings of the early church fathers, I mean, 
Ignatius never says anything like this. Neither does Polycarp or you know, anyway. You get what I'm saying here is they they affirm that that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, but nothing there about Mary being sinless. I mean, that's such a big thing. Don't you think that if that was really the case, that one of the apostles would have actually you know told us that in one of their gospels for us to understand that although Jesus is the Savior for all the rest of us, because we are sinners. God, as a trinity, is the Savior for Mary. That's why she says, God, my Savior, instead of Jesus, my Savior. Uh, Again, you got any apostolic uh, testimony to that effect, William? Just as the phrase, blessed among women, is unique to Mary, so also is the phrase, God, my Savior. But here is Keith's response. Keith responded to my comment, Check your Bible again, my friend, because in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 3, God, my Savior, is said. But Keith is being very deceptive, because these two little dots here represent 24 words, a colon, a semicolon, and two commas. This phrase, God, my Savior, is not found in Samuel. And I don't know why Keith calls me my friend, because immediately after he posted this response, he blocked me. If you can leave out 24 words, one colon, one semicolon, and two commas from any two particular words in the Bible, you can get any quote you want from the Bible. But now here are... Yeah, I agree, William. Um, Can you supply us with a single Bible passage that says that Mary was sinless? Mary's exact words. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Notice there are no dots which indicate missing words or colons or semicolons in this phrase of Mary. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Again, how exactly does that prove that Mary was sinless and that Jesus wasn't her Savior? Because Jesus is God, you know. Mary says, God, my Savior. And the reason is because Jesus did not have to die for Mary's sins. Mary was sinless. She was immaculately conceived. Jesus died and suffered and... Yeah, uh, passages, please. One would do. ...shed his blood for the rest of us. Not God the Father, not God the Holy Spirit. That's why when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is referring to the other two persons of the Divine Trinity. They did not suffer and die on the cross. That was Jesus' fate only. And therefore... When Mary says, God, my Savior, she is not saying that Jesus suffered and died for her. So why does Mary say, God, my Savior, if God does not save her from sin? And in the very next biblical passage, we realize that it is not sin which God saves Mary from. Luke 1, 48, For he has looked upon the lowliness of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth... All generations shall call me blessed. Notice that God as a trinity does not save Mary from sin anywhere in this passage. He's... Oh, my. <laughs> um, 
uh, uh, Mr. Third Eagle, um, we've got a problem here. Uh, I mean, seriously, this would be like me saying, now let's go to John chapter 8, verse 58, where Jesus says, uh, you know, before Abraham was, I am, and say, now see, because Jesus here doesn't talk about the Lord's Supper, that 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 what he's really saying here is is that uh, that the symbolic view of of uh, of communion is is false. The <clears throat> the topic of Luke one forty eight is not the sinlessness of Mary or other things. Yeah, we, here's the deal: before you can establish something as a doctrine in the Bible, just it's just a very important rule that theologians from the beginning have. Um, held to this idea is is that theology is not me speculating about God. I mean, never met him. I don't know what he looks like. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he's, you know, when I finally do meet him, I'm going to be completely awestruck. No problem with that there. But that being the case, uh, intuitively, I got no, I got nothing to offer. Just, yeah, no, nothing. I look inside of my heart and well, yeah, nothing there. It, nothing that really points me to God, and and I'm not really good at this deductive logic thing. And so, as a result of it, I'm totally dependent upon you know what God has revealed about Himself. And that being said, going back to my point is is that before you can establish a doctrine in the Christian Church, you need a clear revelation from God to that effect. And well, um. Hmm. When I read the Bible cover to cover, I don't see a single passage, not one, that says anything about Mary being sinless. Now, I this, I understand this is a pious idea. Uh, the problem is, is that, yeah, yeah, that, you know what that smells like? It smells like, well, doctrines of men. Yeah, that that the origin of that particular teaching isn't what God has revealed, nor is that actually true Christian history. No, it that really, yep, yep, that smells just like doctrines of men, bad stuff. Yeah, and so I, without a clear revelation from God in His Word, you gotta go with the no. It's this is not it at all. And pointing to Luke chapter one verse forty eight is as if somehow this shows something about this it doesn't no it this verse isn't about that saves her from the ignominy of obscurity for from henceforth all generations shall call mary blessed mary is the woman in genesis 3:15 who is destined to crush the head of the serpent oh uh, uh yeah um <clears throat> uh genesis 3:15 is not a prophecy about mary it's a prophecy about Christ. Yeah, if you have your Bible, flip on over to there. Wow, that is bad. That is just really bad. Um, Did you, did you, William, I just got to ask the question. Did you uh, go to Rick Warren's School of Biblical Hermeneutics? You know, it, just asking. Anyway, uh, (laughs) okay, Genesis chapter three, I'll, I'll start at verse 14, context, context, context. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring 
and her offspring or seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yeah, notice the he shall bruise your head. Yeah, again, he shall bruise. Yeah, Genesis 3.15 is not saying that the woman would crush the head of the serpent. No, it's the he, he, he shall bruise your head. That would be Jesus, not Mary. Let me back that up so that uh, we can hear that again in context because it's just really bad. Here we go. Be blessed. Mary is the woman in Genesis 3.15 who is destined to crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, the Genesis 3.15 says he, the seed, that would be Jesus, crushes the head of the serpent. As I said before, Jesus is our commander-in-chief in this battle against the Antichrist, but Mary is his five-star general. Mm-hmm. And no verses say anything to that effect at all, not one. Those who like to say that only Jesus will be victorious in this battle against the Antichrist like to point out to me a passage from Second Thessalonians. Let's look at what St. Paul says. Please, I can hardly wait. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that lawless one be revealed. Right. Now this lawless one... That's the Antichrist. ...is the Antichrist. Yep. Whom the Lord Jesus shall kill with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Yeah, Second Thessalonians 2, 8. Yeah, no mention of Mary there. Notice Jesus will kill the Antichrist with the spirit of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. These are his two weapons, the spirit and the brightness. But what does the spirit of his mouth and the brightness of his coming signify? Yeah, I mean, yeah, can you tell us? I, I you know, see this again. Watch what he's doing here. He's going to allegorize and just pour any meaning he wants into it. Notice the duality. This is very similar to the two-edged sword which comes out of Jesus' mouth. That is also symbolic. Those two sides of the sword symbolize Mary's rosary and scapular. Those are Jesus' weapons with which he uses. To- yeah, could you give us a single passage that says that that's Mary's rosary and scapular? You just kind of read that into the passage there, William. Hmm, I'm beginning to think your prophetic skills are fritzing out on you. Defeat the Antichrist. Now, the brightness of his coming is a visual sign, and that refers to Mary's scapular. The spirit of his mouth is an audible sign, and that symbolizes prayer, specifically Mary's rosary. Now, we see this same duality in the fight between David and Goliath, which all Bible scholars will tell you symbolizes the end times battle between Jesus and the Antichrist. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. And now this is David shouting... Yeah, I have yet to run across a single biblical scholar who says that the David and Goliath story is a symbol of... ...out to Goliath. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Now the question is... If the Lord saves not with sword and spear, what does he save with? From this passage, it ought to be obvious 
that to defeat the Antichrist, we cannot count on hiding guns or hoarding gold. This is a spiritual battle. What on earth is he talking about? As St. Paul says, we are battling powers and principalities. The two weapons which Jesus uses are Mary's rosary and scapular. Any passages that say that? Uh, just one, one, one? Yeah, I don't remember the rosary being mentioned in the uh, Bible. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. But what does this stone signify? Remember, um, Mary's scapular? Remember, David chose five smooth pebbles. Those five smooth pebbles symbolize Mary's rosary. <laughs> I, really? <laughs> How do you... <laughs> this guy is one taco short of a combo plate. It, uh... <laughs> I think somebody needs to have the people in the with the white lab coats and the padded rooms come visit Mr. Tapley because... Well, this, this is just nuts. This sling symbolized Mary's scapular, just as David symbolizes Jesus and the Philistine Goliath symbolizes the Antichrist. Although Mary was... Con- yeah, yeah I, I, I tell you, with this hermeneutical method, I mean, you need some kind of, a, you know, an allegorical key to unlock the Bible here. This is worse than origin. Oh, man. Seed without sin... She is not the only one. Adam and Eve were also conceived without sin. However, they they were created. They weren't conceived, and yes, they did not have. They did not sin until they rebelled against God. <laughs> fell. Mary's perfection shows that Adam and Eve were guilty, as are the rest of us. We must do what Jesus said, and that is be perfect even as our Father in heaven is perfect. How's that working out for you, William? Because um, you're guilty of breaking the commandment that says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain through all of this Bible twisting that you're doing. I'm not seeing perfection here at all. Oh, man. As our Father in heaven is perfect, if we expect to defeat the Antichrist. And if you would like more information... Yeah, I, you know... Um, I think Jesus is going to be the one who defeats the Antichrist. Not a, not a human being, but Jesus. That's just how I read the scriptures. Oh, man, my brain hurts. Okay, we got to take a break. <laughs> I need to go recharge my mental battery for a second. Um, If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. Sermon review when we got come back. It's not a good one. Hang on. I'm going to go floss my brain.
unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The Christmas season is upon us. It's time for parties and gifts and all that kind of stuff. Do you have a Christmas party or potluck that you need to plan for? Or maybe you enjoy giving food gifts for Christmas. Either way, Pirate Christian Radio's featured holiday sponsor, the Wisconsin Cheese Man, has a huge variety of gourmet cheeses, sausages, cakes, and cookies. Oh, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Just for you. They have gifts such as their cheese and sausage combo pack or their cheese great gift basket or my personal favorite, the Big Nibbler. Whatever your holiday taste might be, the Wisconsin Cheese Man has exactly what you're looking for. So if you would like to purchase something from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese. Click on the banner provided there and you will be taken to the promised land of gourmet cheeses. <laughs> and just remember, a portion of everything you purchase from the Wisconsin Cheese Man, after you've clicked on that link, goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheese today. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. You're going to be listening carefully for the proper distinction of law and gospel or lack thereof. Mucho importante stuff. Details to follow.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via C3 Church, Orlando, Florida. Pastor Byron Bledsoe presiding. The name of the sermon is Wonderful Counselor. Now, with a name like that, we're hoping that it would be about Jesus. And what's funny is is that this is one of those sermons that I think is a distraction kind of sermon. It's somebody complaining about the fact that Jesus isn't preached, but then doesn't actually preach Jesus. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. The other thing you'll notice here is that you've got to pay attention to law and gospel. According to Romans 3.20, what is the purpose of the law? To show us our sin. Nobody will be declared righteous in God's sight by keeping the law. That being the case, you need to listen carefully to see what he thinks the law is all about and whether or not the gospel even factors into this theology. Purpose of the gospel to proclaim to us a merciful and kind Savior. So you preach the law to condemn sinners of their sin, so show them their need for a Savior. And then for Christians, there's a third use of the law. That, that use is to show us what a good work is. Many times we learn what a good work is when the law is preached because we realize, whoops, <laughs> I ain't doing that. So you need, to be, you need to hear about the forgiveness of sins before you move on to that doing part. Because the doing is not because... Of uh, not be you, you don't do in order to be saved by God. In fact, I got a Luther a quote that I'm going to be quoting here today during the sermon. Anyway, is it Luther or is it Chemnitz? I think it's Luther. Let me kill the music. Although I love this part, I love this whole song. Just let it play out, man. Just let it play out. There's the resolve. All right. So without any further ado, here is uh, Byron Bledsoe, C3 Church, Orlando, Florida. Here we go. Home for Christmas. And speaking of Christmas, I want to let you know, I've told you we're doing a, a very special Christmas Eve service at C3. We've, we've not ever done that. So um, that's easy. You know, that's on December 24th, 7 p.m. And here's the cool thing. We, we really prayed through, man, how can we pull this off where it's meaningful? People are able to invite friends and family because it's a huge, hey, huge opportunity uh, people that are not Christ followers, people that are unchurched, they will check it out on Christmas Eve or in the month of December. So be inviting like crazy. But but I, I also want to be sensitive to those that are volunteers, and, and we really prayed through this. And so what we worked out and what God's opened the door to, and th- this is huge for us, is Christmas Eve, we will be having our Christmas Eve service 7 p.m. at the Plaza Theater at 50 in Bumby. So there's no setup in the main room. Set up in other atmospheres. You can just invite people like crazy. Connections team, you will be on, and you'll hear more about that. But it's going to be a great night. Also, it's a rare opportunity for us. We have two services on Sunday morning. It's a rare opportunity for us to all come together, invite people. It's going to be a meaningful time, 7 p.m. Christmas Eve, because it's that season. It's Christmas. It's a time when we think about family and friends and parties and gifts and and celebration. And there's something about Christmas that is so intensely unique. 
It's not just all of those things. It's not just the different music or the atmosphere in the air. It's not just that we're celebrating the birth of a baby. It's the coming of God's son. It's something intensely meaningful. And as we read the pages of scripture, God desires... Now, Byron, I agree. It is something very meaningful. Your job as a pastor is to actually open up the word and show us the meaning of that meaningfulness. Does that make any sense? Let's continue. And it jumps out on the pages. He desires that we know him personally. Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. You know the story. But he came with a singular purpose of killing religion and building the ability to have a relationship. Okay, we got a problem. We have got a problem. <sighs> Where in the scriptures does it say that Jesus came to kill relation? Uh, to how did you put it? Let me back up the uh, audio just a smidge. He was born of a virgin. You know the story. But he came with a singular purpose of killing religion and building the ability to have a relationship. Killing religion and building the ability to have a relationship. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the gospel at all. That sounds like pure, unadulterated religious works righteousness. You So on the one hand, you say Jesus came to kill religion. Then on the other hand, you say that, well, see, that's the thing. Religion is all about keeping the law. You know, it's the quid pro quo. Salvation is a wage, not salvation as a gift. Yeah, I don't I, no, I theologically this sounds off. This doesn't even sound like it's you're 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 trying to contextualize this so that everyday people can understand it. Uh if I if I were an everyday folk, um which I really am. But uh this does this doesn't sound like the good the good news. Jesus came Jesus said I came to seek and save the lost. Yeah, Jesus didn't say, I came to kill religion and to make it possible to build a relationship with me. Yeah, that's not what the scriptures say. So already we got a problem, and and where are we going with this? That wasn't the gospel. That's the law. That's religion. That's why he came. And there's something about this season where our minds go to thinking about Jesus, and we picture him under the tree in the nativity scene, laying in a manger as a little baby. But that may be how he came. It's not who he is today. And one of the things we want to do in this series, Home for Christmas, is really come home to the reality of who Jesus is and what it means to know him in this season. A God who created us, who longs to know us, and desires to speak to us. But how do you hear the voice of God? Ooh, 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 I know. You open up the Bible and you read it. Yeah. I mean, really, how do you know when God is speaking? I I can tell when God has spoken. And Scripture says that God's word, the Scriptures, are a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. You want to know what God's will is? Read the Scriptures. It'll tell you what God's will is. Not just in this Christmas season where we're trying to make choices about what gifts to buy, but in every season in life, as we're trying to make decisions and and navigate life, how do you hear from God? Because we all want to make good decisions. Nobody woke up this morning. 
So the Bible is about reading it so that you make good decisions? This morning said, you know what? Today's the day. This is the day. I'm going to mark it on the calendar. This is the day where I make the dumbest decisions I could ever make and just blow up my life. Nobody woke up thinking that. Nobody woke up saying that. We all want to make, no matter who you are, whether you're a Christ follower or not, we all want to make good decisions. And so in our pursuit of, of trying to make good decisions, we ask people for advice. So the Bible's about helping us in our pursuit to make good decisions? What, what Christmas story are you reading this from again? And as we ask people, we notice that everybody has an opinion. Have, have you ever noticed that everybody's an expert on everybody else's life? And we can give advice on what they should do in this relationship and what job they should take and how to handle that. Everybody has an opinion when they give advice. The, the best diet to follow, the perfect workout plan, P90 hell, the, the, the quickest way to... Uh, P90X is what it's called. To make the most money, what TV show you just can't miss, the book you got to... Remember The Shack? The book you got to read. I mean, every... Yeah, thanks for reminding me. It's... Everybody has advice. We're always seeking advice. But what's so great about our loving God is he always has advice. He always has an opinion on what we should do. So the great thing about God is that he, he has good advice. Good advice is not the same as good news, sir. Ay, ay, ay. And what we should not do, and he's never wrong. God has never given advice and then somebody followed through on it and God'd be like, boy, I missed that one. I mean, that's never happened. He's never said, oops. He's never said, my bad. God has never given bad advice. And he has an opinion on everything we deal with in life. One of the most common words in scripture. So I've got God, the great uh, the holder of good opinions. How is this good news for me again? Scripture used to describe God as the word holy. Hey, here's what that means. If God is holy, the advice coming from God is holy. That means it can be trusted. So the Ten Commandments are really, it's advice. It's, it's to help us to make good decisions because that's just good advice. See, God wants to give you, yeah. The good news is, is that God has the best advice out there. Okay. And God desires that we do trust him and that we do follow his advice. Trust him for what? You, you don't explain that, but you want us to follow God's advice. The Ten Commandments apparently is good advice. Slash commands. So we experience. Okay, got to pause. Got to pause. You got to hear this in context. You, I, I got, oh man, this is bad. This is all law. This there ain't no gospel here at all. I'm backing it up maybe about 20 seconds. Here we go. The advice coming from God is holy. That means it can be trusted. And God desires that we do trust him and that we do follow his advice slash commands so we experience the best life possible. So God wants us to follow his advice slash commands so that we can experience the best life possible. That's not the biblical good news. That sounds like more like Joel Osteen kind of stuff. And not only that, this is all law. This is not gospel. You want to have the best life that you can possibly have? Well, you need to obey the Ten Commandments. Get cracking. 
Um, what about the wrath of God? What about forgiveness of sins? Because, you know, all that advice that's in the Ten Commandments, I haven't done a very good job of following that advice. On a daily basis, when I look at my life in comparison to that list of advice, I find that I make bad decisions on a daily basis. Does God, is he okay with that? In Isaiah chapter 9, back in the Old Testament, there's this verse that that talks about Jesus coming. It talks about Christmas before it ever happened. And here's what the scripture says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. So if you're like really rocking the party, Republican, Democrat, that, sorry. Thank God it's not based on them. They're they're doing a great job screwing it all up. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, speaking of Jesus, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Pause. Think about that. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, don't you think that the important thing here is is that the promised Messiah would actually be God in human flesh? Why do I feel like he's going to key in on the wonderful counselor part? Oh, the good, our, our Savior, God in human flesh, the giver of good advice. What does it mean for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. Ah, oh, yeah, that, yeah. Good. He's the giver of the perfect advice. Yeah. What good news that must be. Have you ever thought about the reality that while you're seeking advice in the decisions you have to make day by day, or as you try to navigate life, God wants to speak to us even more than we want to hear from him? Sometimes in my life, there, there are these choices that have to be made, or I'm, I'm trying to determine how to navigate something. And I say, God, if you, if you could just make this so plain, if, if, you could just have, if you could just speak to me. But the reality from Scripture is God desires to speak to me even more than I desire to hear from him. He passionately desires to speak to us. So how do you— Well, he's God. Don't you think he could do it then? You know when you're hearing the voice of God. How do you know if it's God speaking or the pizza from last night? How do you know that this is what God wants you to do? There's several ways God speaks to us. First, he speaks to us through his word. Right on. This is true. God speaks to us through his word. The Bible, the inspired word of God, that this perfect word that was given through imperfect people that has been preserved and he spared nothing to preserve it all to be able to speak to us. To speak to us the greatest advice ever. Yes, God in human flesh, the giver of perfect advice. Hmm. The scriptures say in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God, the Bible, is alive and active. That's right. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Right it on. penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Listen, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Yes, it does. And that's not good news because when it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, basically what it shows is, is that uh, when it comes to, to, well, taking God's perfect advice, we all seem to do a miserable job at that. We don't really do very well in that category. 
And that's one of the reasons why we need a Savior, because every time we don't take God's advice, yeah, we're sinning. Yeah, and, and the scriptures say that that little baby that was born, the one who was called Emmanuel, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, yeah, that he would go to the cross and that he was crucified for our sins. That means every time we didn't take God's advice, we transgress God's law, and he was crucified for them so that God's wrath would be propitiated because when you don't take God's advice, it's not like he sits there and goes, well, you can take it or leave it, you know, it's, it's just advice. No, they're commandments, and when you don't do what God commands, you're going against the will of God. What God has revealed his will is for your life, and you are sinning, and those sins are punishable by God. You know, he died for our sins, was raised again on the third day bodily for our justification. Are you familiar with these the concept of the gospel at all, Byron? The Bible. It's alive. It's active. God speaks to us through his word. The Bible is one of the most exciting books, the most exciting book ever written. The Bible is not boring. There is incredible stuff in this book. The the problem is we have taken what God meant as raw and authentic, and we have tamed it down and made it pretty and cute. And sometimes... You know, by... Oh, man, why do I feel like you're taming the word down and making it pretty and cute, even though you're complaining about those who do that? Sometimes condescending to people that don't agree with us. The Bible is not boring. It's rated R, not for the purpose of being graphic, but just that it's so real about what really happens in life. It's not a boring book. There's a place in the Old Testament where David, we talked about him last week, where David cuts off the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. If you don't know what that means, ask somebody else. But, but every man in here is just cringing a little... Uh, really? That, that's in there. It, it's in the book. It's in the Bible. And, and here's the deal. When the Bible and its truths are authentically taught, it brings radical authenticity and power to life. The Bible is living and active. What is radical authenticity? And Okay. <clears throat> Hang on a second. I want to point something out. What, no, notice something here. Uh, let me back this up. I want you to hear this quote in context because this is one of the problems in the church. Listen. It's in there. It's in the book. It's in the Bible. And here's the deal. When the Bible and its truths are authentically taught, it brings radical authenticity and power to life. The Bible- okay, if that's true, when, when the Word of God is authentically taught, it brings authentic whatever to life. Why aren't you authentically preaching it right now? You are eight minutes and 30 seconds into your sermon, and um, we're, we are just about a third of the way through. And um, that being the case, don't you think you should be authentically preaching it and teaching it? I mean, you're the pastor. Your job is to preach the word, and I get, apparently got to do it authentically. Um, but this sermon isn't an authentic preaching and teaching on the word of God. It's not. The Bible is living and active. We've taken what God delivered as raw and real and created these bedtime fairy tales out of it where we say to ourselves and to others, and we teach sometimes our kids, there, there's some good truths in here. There's some cool stuff. I mean, you, you, you might want There's some good advice in there, you know. Want to, if you get around to it and you're having a bad day, maybe apply something. It might help you. We've taken, for example, the story of Noah. And if you read the story of Noah and the flood in the children's Bible, I mean, I don't know about you, but we've got four kids, and so we've bought like 
50 children's Bibles, and, and you turn to that, and, and here's, here's this guy. I mean, you, you remember the story of the flood in, in Scripture, but in the children's Bible, there's Noah, and he's standing outside this, this nice boat, and all the animals are smiling because in children's Bibles, animals smile, and, and the sun is shining, and there's a rainbow, and everything's wonderful, and, and we miss the fact of what happened in the reality of Scripture. We've got this tamed-down version, but what happened in the reality of Scripture is that God killed everybody except Noah and his family because of their sin. Yeah, uh, yeah, and we find out from Hebrews 11 that Abraham was a man of faith and that the obedience he had flowed from his faith. Yeah, by the way, I'm going to pause right here. I have a quote that I want to read from Martin Chemnitz. Um, this is from his Loke Theologicae. I always mess that up. Anyway, um, this is talking about uh, the idea of cause and effect, Okay. When we look at the biblical doctrine of justification, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. That's the summary statement of it. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, nothing else. It's pure, raw, naked faith. Good works must necessarily follow from true saving faith. They can't but do so. That To say, to say otherwise would basically be to say that you believe in uh you know in candles candle flames that don't give off any heat it doesn't make any sense okay heat and flame go together you know the the one causes the other so and that's what James argues in James, in in his epistle that just as the body that is not breathing is dead so faith without works is dead if you have true saving faith, good works follow. They can't help but follow. And so when you read the, even the book of Romans, Paul talks about the obedience that comes from faith. Okay, Faith is the thing. So as Christians, we have to keep sanctification and justification correct in our minds. One is, the, one is a cause and the other is an effect. Okay, And so Martin Chemnitz in his Loke Theologicae writes about this, and here's what he says. The doctrine of the goals and effects of justification is clear and easy, but it, 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 it is useful and necessary to repeat it at this point in our study of justification for several important reasons. One, the justification, that means to be declared righteous in God's sight, is received by faith should serve as a constant warning regarding the end or the goal of doctrine of uh, the end or the goal of doctrine of justification so that we do not misuse this teaching in order to cultivate or confirm licentiousness as the epistle of Jude admonishes in verse 4 uh transposing or transferring or perverting the grace of God into licentiousness two just as we have a uniting of causes and effects in nature, so when we have the cause for our justification, we should have no doubt concerning the effects, namely salvation and eternal life. Three, that believers might know how to perform good works and so that they will not seek a pretext to avoid doing them, Scripture says that renewal or sanctification is an effect or result of justification. Four, Christ says in Matthew seven sixteen through 20 that we are to judge a tree by its fruit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are holding uh, to your faith. 2 Peter 1, 10 says, make your calling sure. We judge the cause by the effects. Number five, this distinction between causes and effects is also useful for showing that sanctification or renewal 
is to be distinguished from justification and that the new obedience is not a cause or an essential part of our justification because it is an effect or a result of our justification. Six, by means of this distinction, we can also answer the difficult question. When the believing heart in its trials feels no joy, peace, or happiness, is faith at that is faith at that time when it lays hold on Christ in the promise and tries to sustain itself with comfort, able to determine that it has the true righteousness unto eternal unto life eternal? There is a difference between the causes or the form of our righteousness before God and its effect. When the form or formal cause of our righteousness has been established as described above, then faith ought to be assured of the acceptance of our person before God unless it wants to make him, that's Jesus, a liar. Indeed, the effects show the cause, and when the effects cease, then we may conclude that the cause does not actually exist either. In the case of our justification, which is the full and perfect acceptance of the believer unto eternal life, certain effects in our life, such as the new obedience, follow rather slowly because of the weakness of our flesh. Some effects follow the, follow the way of Scripture, says in 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Likewise, Romans 4.18, in hope he believed against hope. Colossians 3.3, our life is hidden in Christ. In Psalm 31.19, you have laid up good things for those who fear you. So the idea here is, is that when we're preaching from the Scriptures, if we turn the Bible into an advice book, or, uh, tips for living, then what happens is, is that the idea then is the goal of, of Christianity is happiness here on this earth, and oh yeah, and by the way, you get salvation thrown in too. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures promise Christians persecution and hardship in this life and reward and eternal life in the life to come. Our hope is not here and now in the temporal. Our hope is in the soon-to-be-revealed new heaven and new earth, which Christ will bring with him when he returns. And so, when you turn the Bible into an advice book, then basically what happens is is that, well, the reason why you know things aren't going well for you is because, well, you're just not properly applying the correct advice, which ultimately boils down to turning the Bible into all law. The gospel doesn't fit into this theology at all, and so we've got some major problems here. With that in mind, let's continue. So we tell our kids this story right before they go to bed. Yeah, God killed everybody because they didn't obey their parents. Go to bed. (laughs) We need to try that. Do your kids get up 55 times for water after bedtime? What is? I don't understand. Has nothing to do with this. I I don't understand. But, but we've taken what God meant to be real and authentic. It, it's not a boring book. The deal is we just approach the Bible with a book. Great. I agree. It's not a boring book. Why aren't you actually preaching it? Boring attitude. We know it's the word of God. We say that intellectually. But when we're seeking advice on our marriage, when we're seeking advice on dating relationships, when we're looking for advice on how to handle money in this economy, but when we're dealing and... When you're looking for advice on dating and relationships, when you're looking for advice on how to handle money in this economy, notice what he's reduced the Bible down to. And looking for advice on which job to take and what opportunity to launch into, we ask everybody's advice that we trust. And maybe that means if we don't look to the Bible, we don't, we don't really trust. 
Scripture says he's to be a wonderful counselor. Which means he's the ultimate. He's the most wonderful advice giver on the whole planet. Maybe the real reason we don't like reading the Bible, we've called it boring and we've kind of disconnected because sometimes we read it and we didn't really understand everything. But if you start reading it on a regular basis, the problem with the Bible is it starts reading you. Agree. Why aren't you preaching it then so that the, the Bible could read them right now? And it gets tense and it becomes very convicting because God begins to speak through his word. God has spoken in his word. But we have this dilemma because we need advice on how to live. And so so our dilemma is we need advice on how to live. That's our big dilemma. We need advice on how to live. God, we need advice. No, we need a savior. That's why God sent a savior. He didn't send Jesus. I mean, seriously, Confucius gives advice. You know, you, you want advice? Read a fortune cookie. <sighs> We buy, we, we, we buy a Bible, and we've got a Bible, and when we need advice, we, we run to the Bible for information. The problem is this book's main purpose is not to be informational. Its purpose is to be transformational. Yeah, through the great advice that it gives. When it comes to the Bible, it's never about how much you know. It's always about how much you apply. Uh, so I see. So how, how, how are you doing there, Byron? How much of the Bible have you applied? How are you doing? If I were to list off the Ten Commandments right now, how, how would you be holding up there? Are you applying it very well? You see, the purpose of the law is to show us our sin. If you have your Bible, flip over to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? Well, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one follows God's No one follows God's advice, not even one. By the way, I put that in there. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That includes all of us, none righteous, no, not one. So our problem is, oh, there's none, if you listen to this theology, oh, there's none that has the abundant life. There's none that that have the, the no understand all the different nuances of the right things to do in relationships and whatever. And so God, you know, in his love for us, has given us his advice book from the wonderful counselor, Jesus, the great advice giver. <clears throat> that's not what the scripture says. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable for God, to God. For by works of the law. Let me translate this into this uh, sermon's speak. For by following God's advice, no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight, since through the good advice comes the knowledge of sin. The purpose of the law is to show you your sin. That's its primary purpose. It condemns you, and it condemns me. And without it, we don't know that we need to repent and trust in Christ. 
This guy is preaching pure, unadulterated works righteousness, and it's sad. Some of the meanest, most sadistic people I ever met knew a lot of Bible. Some of the meanest, in fact, the meanest people I've ever met, I've met in some churches. Regular attenders, members, got the ribbon, banner. I belong here. It's my church. Some of the most hard tell people in the world are people that, that know a lot of Bible. The problem is they don't apply it. And so how, how well are you doing at applying it, Byron? How well are you doing? Some of the most awesome, some of the greatest, most loving, most generous, most sensitive people I've ever met or people that they don't know a lot of Bible. They don't know yet who Nehemiah is or who Shadrach is. They just know what they read this morning, and they're trying to apply that to their lives because they love Jesus, and they're trying to feed that relationship. Law. Where's faith? Where's repentance? Where's the forgiveness of sins? Hey, if you want to hear from God, he speaks through his word. But when he does, it's not about how much you know. It's about what you're willing to apply. This is pure, unadulterated. So, so how, how much of God's law are you willing to apply? And when do you know when you've, you're willing to apply enough of it? Hmm? Second Timothy says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All Scripture is God-breathed. Sometimes I get this question. So we have an inerrant God-breathed advice book. Well, that's helpful. What, what does C3 think about the Bible? Because different churches have different opinions. I mean, some churches think, well, it has some great uh, virtues. There's some good morals there, some things you can take away. You can't really bank on it. You've got to kind of filter through, but there's some good stuff. Hey, <laughs> hey, bro, that, that's not us. We are a place that believes the Bible is what it says it is, and that is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. What does all that mean? Why do I need an inspired, infallible word, advice book? Why do I need that? It just means that it is the Word of God. It has no mixture of error. It is God-breathed, and it is foundational for a meaningful and happy life. Foundational for a meaningful and happy life. I don't get to put an eraser to what God wrote. The Bible is God's Word. And it says that it is valuable for teaching. We need to be taught consistently. How do I know that we always need to be taught from Scripture? Because none of us ever arrive spiritually. We're not going to be perfected in this life. We we always need to be growing. We always need to be taught what the Scripture teaches because a lot of people who've been in church a long time don't. You know, I was reading this the other night. Let me read to you uh, from the early church fathers, the martyrdom of Ignatius. I'm going to read to you a couple of chapters from this letter. And this Ignatius was one of the men who was a disciple of John the Apostle. Yeah, who, you know, we're talking about John, the eyewitness to the resurrection, the one whom Jesus said to Mary, behold your son, uh, your, your mother, mother, behold your son. That, that guy, okay? Ignatius was one of his disciples, as was Polycarp. Now, I want you, I'm going to read part of this. Um, chapter 1, the desire of, Na- of Ignatius for martyrdom. When Trajan, this is the emperor Trajan, not long since succeeded to the empire of the Romans, Ignatius, the disciple of John the Apostle, a man in all respects of an apostolic character, governed the church of the Antiochians with great care 
having with difficulty escaped the former storms of the many persecutions under Domitian, inasmuch as, like a good pilot, by the helm of prayer and fasting, by the earnestness of his teaching and by his constant spiritual labor, he resisted the flood that rolled against him, fearfully, lest he should lose any of those who were deficient in courage or apt to suffer from their simplicity. Wherever he rejoiced over the tranquil state of the church when the persecution ceased for a little time, but was grieved as to himself that he had not yet attained a true love to Christ, nor reached the perfect rank of a disciple. What was missing was his martyrdom. He, 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 they, he. There was this idea that being martyred was a, um, well, a privilege. For he inward, inwardly reflected that the confession which is made by martyrdom would bring him into yet a more intimate relation to the Lord. Wherefore, continuing a few years longer with the church and like a divine lamp enlightening everyone's understanding by his expositions of the Holy Scriptures, he at length attained the object of his desire. For Trajan, in the ninth year of his reign, being lifted up with pride after the victory he had gained over the Scythians and the Dacians and many other nations, and thinking that the religious body of the Christians were yet wanting to complete the subjugation of all things to himself, and thereupon threatening them with persecution unless they should agree to worship demons, as did all all other nations, they thus compelled all those who were living godly lives either to sacrifice to idols or die." Wherefore, the noble soldier of Christ, Ignatius, being in fear for the church of the Antiochians, was in accordance with his own desire, brought before Trajan, who was at that time staying at Antioch, Antioch, but was in haste to set forth against Armenia and the Parthenians. And when he was set before the emperor Trajan, that prince said unto him, Who art thou, wicked wretch, who settest thyself to transgress our commands and persuades others to do the same so that they should miserably perish? Ignatius replied, No one ought to call Theophorus wicked. By the way, Theophorus is a Greek phrase, and this one of the early... uh, a couple of early names that Christians had for themselves, Theophorus and Christophorus. Theophorus means God-bearer, somebody who bears God inside of their chest, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, or within themselves. You know, since we're the temples of the Holy Spirit, Christians are Theophorus. Another uh, name was Christophorus, a Christ-bearer. My name, by the way, is Christopher, which is a, which is a form of that, somebody who is a Christ-bearer. Okay, so no, so Ignatius replied to Trajan, "No one ought to call Theophorus wicked, for all evil, evil spirits have departed from the servants of God. But if because I am an enemy to these spirits you call me wicked in respect to them, I quite agree with you. For inasmuch as I have Christ, the King of Heaven, within me, I destroy all the devices of these evil spirits." Trajan answered, and who is Theophorus? Ignatius replied, he who has Christ within his breast. Trajan said, do we not then seem to you to have the gods in our mind whose assistance we enjoy in fighting against our enemies? Ignatius answered, you are in error when you call the demons of the nations gods, for there is no, there is but one God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that are in them, and one Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, whose kingdom may I enjoy. Trajan said, Do you mean him who was crucified under Pontius Pilate? 
Ignatius replied, I mean him who crucified my sin along with him who was the inventor of it and who has condemned and cast down all the deceit and malice of the devil under the feet of those who carry them in their heart. Trajan said, Do you then carry within you him who was crucified? Ignatius replied, Truly so, for it is written, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Then Trajan pronounced sentence as follows, We command that Ignatius, who affirms that he carries about within him, that was he who was crucified, be bound by soldiers and carried to the great city of Rome, there to be devoured by the beasts for the gratification and entertainment of the people. When the holy martyr heard the sentence, he cried out with joy, I thank you, O Lord, that you have vouchsafed to honor me with a perfect love towards you and have made me to be bound with iron chains like your apostle Paul. Having spoken thus, he then with delight clasped the chains about him, and when he had first prayed for the church and commended it with tears to the Lord, he was hurried away by the savage cruelty of the soldiers like a distinguished ram, the leader of a goodly flock, that he might be carried to Rome. The next couple of chapters discuss Ignatius's journey to Rome, and now we finally get to his martyrdom. They pushed forth, therefore, from the place which is called Portus, and the fame of all relating to the holy martyr being spread abroad. We met the brethren full of fear and joy, rejoicing indeed because they were thought worthy to meet with Theophorus, but struck with fear because so eminent a man was being led to death. Now he enjoined some to keep silence, who in their fervent zeal were saying that they would appease the people so that they would not demand the destruction of this just man. He, being immediately aware of this through the Spirit and having saluted them all and begged of them to show a true affection towards him, and having dwelt on this point at great length then then in his epistle and having persuaded them not to envy him hastening to the Lord, he then, after he had, with all the brethren kneeling beside him, entreated the Son of God in behalf of the churches that a stop might be put to the persecution and that mutual love might continue among the brethren, was led with all haste into the amphitheater. Then being immediately thrown in, according to the command of Caesar given some time ago, the public spectacles being just about to close, for it was then a solemn day, as they deemed it, being that which is called the thirteenth in the Roman tongue, on which the people were wont to assemble in more than ordinary numbers, he was thus cast to the wild beasts, close behind the temple, so that by them the desire of the holy martyr Ignatius should be fulfilled. According to that which is written, the desire of the righteous is acceptable to God, to the effect that he might not be troublesome to any of the brethren by the gathering of his remains, even as he had in his epistle expressed a wish beforehand, so that to his end might be. For only the harder portions of his holy manes were left, which were conveyed to Antioch and wrapped in linen, in an inestimable treasure left to the Holy Church by the grace which was in the martyr. Do you think that Ignatius was fed to the beasts in the Colosseum and martyred there because he was proclaiming the good advice given to us in the Bible by the wonderful counselor? Was that the, the big rub with the world, that he was following the better advice? I don't think so. He was proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sin. 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died and risen again for our justification. That's what he was proclaiming. He was preaching the authentic story. And if Byron Bledsoe here would actually crack open the book, he might accidentally preach the Christian faith. But he really isn't cracking it open, is he? I don't understand what the Bible teaches. For example, there are people that will say, well, the Bible says that God helps those that will help themselves. No, it doesn't. I don't know what you're smoking, but that's not in the book. But, but well, I've been in church a long time. The Bible says God helps those. Who no, it doesn't. I, I, I promise you, I'll show you. Look in First Hezekiah. There is no First Hezekiah. You started thumbing. It's not there. <laughs> there are people that think, man, I just, I, I, I've got to find this. There's another phrase, especially in the South, people use, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's in the Bible. No, it's not. It's not in the book. Here's another one. Money's the root of all evil. No, 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 no. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Here's one. People quote this all the time. I'm a Christ follower. I go to church. I know what's in the Bible. And the Bible says that God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. The Bible never says that. It was Gandhi that said that. <laughs> so then going back to what you said earlier in your sermon, then, Byron, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus came to destroy religion and to you know, build a way to make it possible for us to have a relationship with God? What does any of that mean? And you know what? We live a messed up life when we take advice from people who did not even know Jesus and attribute it to Jesus and live our lives by that. So we need to be taught because we've never arrived, not, not any of us. We need to be in a process of learning what Scripture teaches. The Bible is useful for teaching. I agree. We need to be reading our Bibles. Completely agree. But the Scripture also says it's useful for rebuking. That, that means there are times in my life I need to be rebuked from the Scriptures. I- yeah, like rebuked for not actually preaching God's Word at this point in, you know, because that's your job, Pastor. I, I, it's useful for correcting. Scripture has a way of leading me away from my sin and toward Jesus if I'll let it. And, and it's useful for training in righteousness. That means that the more of the Scripture I get into me, the more godly I become. The more of the Scripture we get into us, the more godly we become. All law. This is all law. This is not the obedience of faith. This is, I'm, I'm godly because I obey. No, I obey because I have been made holy because of Christ's blood. It's interesting. Americans buy about half a million Bibles a week. Really? It's not that we can't get the Word of God. It's just that there's a big difference in buying a Bible and buying into the Bible. God speaks through His Word. God also speaks to us through His Spirit, the the Holy Spirit. Oh, he's about to talk about the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Some of you felt a little tingle in your jingle. The, the, the Holy. Okay, now I, I want you to point. I want to point this out. Okay, this next section. Um, he's not using the Bible to show this. He's just making assertions, but not backing it up with the scripture. That's kind of a problem, don't you think? Even though he's he said we got to authentically preach the word. Why isn't he authentically preaching it? Holy Spirit. 
Hey, I, I want to tell you, one of the things I love about C3 is it is a melting pot church, and I love that. We have people here from all different backgrounds. I mean, people just get, it's a melting pot church, and from those backgrounds, we, we, we can believe some different things about the Holy Spirit. So if he wants to speak to us through his spirit, how, how do we, uh, let me prove it's a melting pot church. Put the lights down a little bit so I can see a little bit better. I, I can't see past the second row, and somehow you, you refuse to sit up here. You make me think I'm talking to an empty room. Come to the front. Love Jesus. I'd love to see you. But here's the deal. How many of you are from a Presbyterian background? Raise your hand. Your background, you grew up in Presbyterian. Awesome. We can have a drink after church. And if you're from a Methodist background, you don't want to be left out. You want the drink. How many of you are from a Methodist background? You grew up in a Methodist church. Okay, how about Catholic? Man, my background's Catholic. Ooh, a lot of Catholics. Catholic, Catholic. How many of you are from a Baptist background? They usually sit in the back. How many from a Baptist? How many from a Pentecostal background? That's the quietest Pentecostals have ever been. We're a melting pot. How many from a different background? Something I didn't mention. We are a melting pot church. And in that, we need to understand what the scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit because the Bible says God speaks to us through his spirit. Now, now my background is Baptist. Now I'm about as Baptist as Jesus was. And you can research that later, but my background is Baptist. That, that's how I was raised. And the Baptist, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you just don't talk about him. He's like Cousin Eddie in Christmas Vacation. He's going to show up, and we just hope he sits in the corner and behaves and doesn't do anything to interrupt what we're trying to accomplish and doesn't do anything. Now, again, remember, he said the important thing is to authentically preach the word. Is he doing that? really weird and crazy and just kind of stays over there and we just don't talk about him. That's how the Baptists kind of navigate the Holy Spirit because if we talk about him, somebody might raise their hand in worship and somebody might raise two hands and then we've just lost control. It's over. And then there's the other extreme, which is kind of the Pentecostal Assembly of God church where, where if you grew up in that atmosphere, man, you walked into a service, you knew what was going on, but someone in church walks in, it scares the hell out of them. They don't understand those words. They think somebody's cussing in a foreign language. They don't know why does everybody have a tambourine. They don't understand the big hair. They don't get it. They just don't, it's, it's weird to them because in different denominations, we bring our different thoughts to what takes place as it relates to the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, there are some churches that ignore him, and there are other churches that worship him sometimes to the neglect of God and Jesus. It's dangerous to ignore him because he is part of the Trinity and he is in the Bible, but it's equally dangerous to neglect Jesus, whom the Holy Spirit was sent to glorify. I agree. So why don't you, you know, open up your Bible and start preaching Jesus and let the Holy Spirit uh, convict people of their sin and unbelief. Just saying, you know. In any church, if a worship service takes place and the attention ever goes to anything or anyone other than Jesus, that service has been hijacked and it's no longer about the Bible. Uh, using that standard, you haven't even begun to focus this on Christ at all. So the sermon, this sermon you're preaching has been hijacked. So how do we hear from the Holy Spirit? This, this, the one that scriptures call our comforter, the, the one the scriptures can call our counselor, 
In John 14, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to go. He doesn't fully break it down, but we know he's about to be murdered on the cross. Three days later, he's going to raise from the dead. And then after a few days, he's going to send back to the Father in heaven. And, and he's saying, hey, I, I'm about to leave you, but I'm not going to. You know, you mentioned the crucifixion. Any idea, Can you tell us what Jesus was doing on the cross? Why was he murdered there? What, what significance does that have for us? Any? Can you think of any? I'm going to leave you as orphans. We, we've been hanging out a while, but, but here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to bring, send the Holy Spirit. And John 14 says, Jesus talking, and I think he's probably the best expert on the Holy Spirit. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate or the comforter, depending on your translation, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. As a Christ follower, have you ever been driving down the road and a random verse pops in your mind? The devil didn't do that. Or maybe you've been at work and you just felt this intense burden all of a sudden just just to pray for so-and-so. That's the Holy Spirit. You just heard the voice of God. Now, the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Scriptures. That would be like me telling my kids, don't play in the road, go play. I agree. The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Scriptures. So your job, Pastor, is to make sure that your flock is so well-versed in the Scriptures by preaching it correctly from the pulpit that when they hear something that claims to be the Holy Spirit that contradicts that, they would know to reject it. So why aren't you cracking open the Bible here and really preaching the Word? Play in the road. No. The Holy Spirit and the Scriptures always work in harmony. God longs to speak to us through his spirit. And for the Christ follower, the spirit of God lives inside you. If you're not a Christ follower, the spirit of God's not living inside you. What's a Christ follower? Is, the question is, where's the doctrine of regeneration and being born again? It seems to be missing here. How else does God long to speak to us? Through others. He wants to speak to us through others. Now, got to be careful. Got to be. Completely agree, because, again, which passage are you getting this from again? Where are you exegeting? Where is this found in the Bible? You're not backing any of your assertions up with anything in the Word of God. Remember, Jim Jones, got to be careful. If somebody comes to you, I'm not talking about the kind of people that walk around and they've got a word for everybody. You met people like that. If you didn't grow up in church, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, and you're blessed for it. But there are these people that, that they got a word, and they always have a word for everybody else and never a word for themselves. But, but they've, they've got a word for you. I'm not talking about those kind of people. When, God, when I say God desires to speak to us through others, I'm asking the question, do you have friends in your life that love Jesus and live for him and love you enough to tell you some things? People that love Jesus. I didn't ask you if they love you first because people that love you more than they love Jesus, they'll tell you what you want to hear because they don't want to offend you. I asked you if you had people in your life that love Jesus first and live for him. They don't just say it. And, and they love you enough to speak some things and speak some truth into your life. We all need other people to speak truth into our lives. Can you preach the word so that you can speak a little bit more than just basic common folk religious truth? It's one of the reasons I'm a part of a community group in the life of C3. If you're not in a community group and you're not plugged in with other people who love Jesus first and are trying to live for him and then will love you, you need to be... Small group studies, pooling of ignorance. ...be a part of a community group. You're not going to gain a ton of spiritual traction and grow spiritually the way you could if all you get is a little bit on Sunday morning. They're not getting anything this Sunday morning. No wonder they need small group studies because 
pastor doesn't want to do his job. Apparently, he's outsourced it to people who aren't even qualified to be doing it. It's not going to happen. If you want information about community groups, stop by the information center and say, hey, I want to know about community groups. Someone will contact you this week. But is God speaking to you through others? Proverbs 15 says this, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And uh, Proverbs, that Proverbs, where does it say that the Holy Spirit is speaking through the counselors again? Proverbs 24 says, the wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won. Victory comes through many advisors. Well, that's great. Where does it say that those advisors are being guided by the Holy Spirit? You and I need people in our lives that love Jesus and live for him and love us. It's one of the reasons we need others. It's one of the reasons we need the church. God often speaks through other people. And usually he does it through random conversations. You're just talking with someone and you say, man, I'm... Where, does the, where in the Bible does it say that God speaks to us through others through random conversations? Can you give us a chapter and verse? You said you need to authentically preach it, but you're not authentically preaching God's word here. I'm really struggling with this. And they Don't say, you think if God wanted us to know this, he would have written it in his word? Say something. And they have no idea God just used them to speak into your life, but you know something connects inside. Man, that was God talking to me about what I'm going through. A few years ago, different church, a friend of mine came to speak for me. And um, Jamie Ragel, many of you know him, he's, he's spoken for me several times at C3, but the church we were before, he came and the service was over. We went to lunch and he said, Listen, I, I just, I just, I mean, we're just casual conversation. He said, I just let, let you know that, that that guy, and he described this guy, he said, uh, Man, I just got to check in my spirit. He's not who he seems to be. He's going to come after you. And he's going to try to destroy you. <laughs> I was like, you're crazy. I mean, we've just elevated this guy to a leadership position. He loves Jesus. He loves me. Everything's wonderful. He, he, we have a great relationship, man. He believes in the vision, blah, 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 blah. I was wrong. The guy turned out to be a complete jackass with a capital A. I mean, he was... Whack, tried to, tried to stop what we were doing, tried to stop the mission. of our, I mean, it, it just went wheels off. Hey, that was God speaking. You know what? I, I missed it. I should have listened. I should have evaluated some things. You, you don't immediately react, but you evaluate. You go to Scripture. You pray a lot. God speaks through others. The only reason that Christ followers don't sometimes seek the advice of people who love Jesus is that we know what they're going to tell us. Sometimes we're not looking for advice. We're looking for affirmation. Sometimes we don't want. Why isn't the text open? Why are we not hearing God's word here? You said that people need to authentically preach it. Why aren't you doing it, Byron? We want somebody who loves Jesus to talk to. We want somebody who just says they know Jesus, but really they, they, they just, they're going to agree with us in what we want to do. We're not looking for advice. We're looking for affirmation. You and I need people in our lives that love Jesus and live for him and will help us. It's one of the reasons we need the church. Have you ever walked in and you're listening to a message and all of a sudden you're thinking, he knows? Well, it's not going to happen unless the preacher's actually preaching from God's word. You're not. He knows. Somebody, somebody told him, somebody shot an email, somebody made a phone. He know. Is he looking at me? He, he knows. When we get home, we're having a family meeting. He knows. I don't know anything. (laughs) 
God knows, and he chooses to speak through others. You, you think God speaks? You think you're better than No, read your Bible. He spoke through Balaam's ass. God speaks through whoever he wants to speak through. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with who God is and his deep desire to communicate something to you and to me. God is the one that, that knows. And that's one of the reasons church... What does God know? It would help if you were actually preaching the word here so I could know what God knows. Church is so important. If, if, if we don't need church, why did Jesus create it and build it and die for it and bless it and desire to use it to change the world? We, we desperately well, I mean, need... Here's the question. Why did God leave us his word if his pastors refused to actually preach it? This, you, you complain about the fact that people need to authentically preach it, but you're not doing it. Sir, you tell you warn people that they need to be careful about hearing from a whole a, a spirit that contradicts God's word. Yet you're not doing what's necessary to teach your people what God's word says, so that they would know which spirit is the Holy Spirit and which one isn't. Need to be a part of uh, uh, the local church. I, I've never understood what makes a Christ follower think that church should be optional or occasional when Jesus gave so much for it and desires and even commands that we be an active part of it. And that ain't once a month, but that's a different message. God wants to speak to us through others. Do you have people in your life that love Jesus, live for him, and love you? you say, man, where do I find that? Best place, a community group. Best place. You see, you can pop in and out of here and be anonymous and get a little bit of Jesus, but 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 really, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you think to gain traction and have healthy relationships and people. The Book of Hebrews says that as the church, we're to spur one another on. And while Sunday morning is extremely important and yes, even essential, what is also what is it important and essential for? I, I don't get that. Okay, if the only thing I'm going to get going to church is some kind, well, how do I put it, you know, just a little bit of Jesus, some Jesus sprinkles? Why do? Why is it essential that I get a Jesus sprinkle on Sunday morning? So essential is, is the small group setting where we're with people that love Jesus, try to live for him, and love us. God speaks through others. And then one final way that God speaks, God speaks through my being still. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible again? I've never said anything from this platform as important as what I'm about to say. So this is more important than the gospel itself. Got it. Okay. In the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not be in want. And this is an incredible passage because when you look at the deeper meaning why don't you actually open it up and read us the whole thing, sir? And you begin to diagnose and break apart that word shepherd in the context and the culture of what was taken. Now, the, the noise you're hearing in the background is a supposedly a sermonade. You know, so the, the audio, you're not, just so you know, this is part of the shtick. Taking place, something huge. And that's why that is the most important thing you could ever know. Now, the problem was not that I wasn't speaking. The problem was you couldn't hear me because of all the noise. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. Do you know how to be still?
So Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, is commanding us to be still. Oh, man. Okay. Do you even know what the gospel is, sir? A serious Byron, do you even know what it is? Be still and know that I'm God. God speaks through my being still. Last night we had some great... That's what that's be still and know that I am God does not translate into when I am still God speaks to me. That's not what that says. Not in the Hebrew. Not in the Greek. There's not. That's a psalm. It's in Hebrew. It, it's you can't. It's not even coded in there. Friends over and we were hanging out and then we went out around Avalon with about ten thousand other people. And, and but we had some friends over and we were hanging out and there was a point where Angie was trying to communicate with me. She said my name. She was talking. I Never heard it because I'm over here engaged in this conversation. And I'm, I'm listening to something else. I'm paying attention to some, someone else. Very often in life, even in those seasons when I desperately need to hear from God, the reason that I'm not hearing from him is, is not because he's not speaking. It's because there's other noise in my life that's drowning him out. What a lame God. See, you know, God, for whatever reason, chooses to speak to us so silently that unless you're so quietly, unless you're silent, you can't hear it. Okay. Again, where does this say this in the Bible? Oh. See, God has this strange thing. He doesn't ever feel like he needs to yell. He says, be still and know that I'm God. And we live in a busy, busy world. And often we have no... Notice that, 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 be still and know that I am God, now is a commandment. It's a new command I'm giving you. Be still, be silent. Because, well, God has, he has laryngitis. And, and he really can't talk above a whisper. And if you're not still, you won't hear him. No idea how to be still. Because we are fully connected to everyone and everything else. Our phones connect us to our calendars. It connects us to the world, and we're checking everybody else's updates. We just don't check God's. We're so connected, and there's... That's right. Are you following God's Twitter account? If you're not, you should be, you know, and you should feel bad if you don't. So there. So much noise. We can watch TV while surfing the web, while texting, while checking an email, while sending a tweet that automatically updates our Facebook status. And if you want to know where I'm doing all that from, you can check Foursquare or Places because we are just fully connected and we are so into being connected. And there is so much noise. God speaking, perhaps. We just don't hear it for the noise. Be still. When's the last time there was no noise in your life? You disconnected from it all for a few moments, 15 minutes, half an hour, for the distinct purpose of spending time with God. I want to challenge you this week in your commute to work, whatever that looks like. When you get in your car, you turn off the radio, you turn off your phone, you put on your seatbelt, you get ready to drive, and you, you say, God, if you want to speak to me today, I'm listening, I'm ready, I want to hear you. And then you just... Be still and quiet. Say, you don't understand. I've got a long commute. Maybe he's got a lot to say. Yeah, just sit silently. Well, here's the deal is, you know, what if, 
God does have a lot to say, and, you know, I have a loud car. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. Because, you know, I, I drive a Toyota FJ Cruiser, and it's, uh, in the inside, it's it's not like a Lexus. You know, if you've ever been in a Lexus, that's an amazing vehicle, by the way. You, you get inside of a Lexus, and you can hear the wind blowing off the windshield. The inside of it is so quiet. But see, in my FJ Cruiser, it's like you got that, uh, uh, you know, going on. You know, what if what if I can't hear God over that? You know, and that's like the only time I can, you know, listen to God is, you know, when I'm commuting to work. I, I don't know that you're going to see a rainbow. I don't know that there'll be a magic moment. I just know, according to the Bible, God is passionately desiring to communicate with you and me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know something's going to happen. I don't know if it'll be Monday morning on the way to work or Thursday afternoon on the way home. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just know when you disconnect from noise and you attempt to connect with God and pursue that as much as your other connections, God wants to speak. Say, well, I don't work outside the home. Where does it say that in the Bible, sir? Again, that verse that you quoted from the Psalms doesn't say that. Then disconnect from the phone, the TV, whatever is your routine. Determine to have a few moments that you're going to just say, God, if you want to speak to me, I, I would love to hear you. I'm listening. And then be still. God speaks through his word, but he can't if we don't read it, no matter how big our problems are. God speaks through his spirit, but it'll never help unless we're willing to yield to him. God speaks through others, but we never have that advantage in our life. This is all law. Seriously. I mean, even what brief mention he did of the cross, that was a side note. Life, if we don't have people in our lives who love Jesus and live for him and love us. And God speaks through me being still, but I will never hear him if I'm too busy or too occupied and there's too much noise. Hey, I don't care who you are or what you're going through, Jesus wants to speak to you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Would you pray with me this morning? Here's my question, okay? In the seeker-driven, purpose-driven churches that follow this methodology, they claim the Sunday morning thing is really important. It's vital, for what? What purpose does this serve? Why do I need to go to a building to hear a pastor wrongly handle God's word and throw some Jesus sprinkles into a, a legalistic, moralistic pep talk? Why is that vital? When the scriptures say that the job of a pastor is to preach the word. Did we hear the word preached? No. Did we hear a lot of moralizing legalism and complete mangling of God's word by only focusing on the law and turning the Bible into the big advice book? Jesus, the wonderful counselor, that means Jesus is the giver, the best advice out there, because it's all about you being happy. So sad. This is exactly what I was talking about on Friday. Friday, complete abject, biblical, spiritual poverty. I don't care how big their building is. I don't care how rad their 
their sound system is or if they have a video display or this cool setup on it doesn't matter this is abject spiritual poverty this isn't biblical christianity this is this is this isn't even christian flavored i don't know what that was and more and more this is the norm where the cross is a footnote, a side note, and you, you don't even know what Jesus was hanging dead on the cross for. Biblical Christianity wasn't about transformed lives. It was about Christ and him crucified for our sins. Where's Peter's big testimony in the scriptures? You don't hear Peter preaching about himself. He preaches Christ. Oh, man. So sad. Pray for Byron Bledsoe in C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Pray that God's word would break through. Sitting there complaining about inauthentic, non-biblical preaching, and that's exactly what he was doing when he was doing it. Unbelievable. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or ask to be my friend on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. Remember, we're a listener supported radio. Visit our website and support us. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Hi. Hey.